Hello, everyone. Today, I welcome special guests Andy Kriebel and Eva Murray, authors of the recently released Makeover Monday. We'll talk about Makeover Monday, the project, the book, Tableau. We'll hear about their book writing process, tips for giving great feedback, and hear how creating a portfolio of work via projects like Makeover Monday may even help land you a new job. All of that and more coming next. Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole nussbaumer Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Welcome, Andy and Eva. Hi, Cole. Hi, Cole. So before we really get into things, um, I thought first, uh, Andy, it might be interesting to know, and people may not be aware, but besides being author of the recently published Makeover Monday and head coach at the Information Lab, you're also an avid marathoner. Uh, you've completed how many marathons to date? Uh, seven, I believe. Seven in three years. All right. And I understand you also collect data from your runs. Actually, you found some visits of your running routes that I think one of your information labbers plotted and published. Looks like most of your running is along the Thames, which I'm sure is lovely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite spoiled by the things I get to see. So, for example, this morning um, I started in Hammersmith and ran past Kensington Palace and then Buckingham Palace and then the London Eye and then... St. Paul's Cathedral. It's it's a really rough life I run. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to know how has seeing and analyzing that data helped and or hurt your running career? First off, I'm, I'm fascinated by the data. I think partly because it's data about me, so I really understand it really quickly. What's really fascinating for me, I, I do a couple of visualizations every month. One is I do kind of a small multiples view of every route that I run and they're all the same size. So I make them all squares. So even though they, they're not quite representative, but for me, I know when certain things in my life happened and I can see those patterns in the routes that I run. So for example, um, I used to want run uh, one particular route to work and I would get it off a different train station. Well, I decided I wanted to start running on the other side of the river to mix things up and stop getting bored with the routes. I can tell when I started cycling to work and I can tell when I had uh, certain races or things because the patterns are completely different than my normal patterns. Uh, so I, I find that really interesting. It, the data tells a story to me. It doesn't to anybody else, but I don't do it for anybody else. I do it for myself. And I also, you know, I, I've really gotten into, now that Tableau has released the density mark type, I'm really fascinated by the patterns of when I run and, uh, and kind of where I run. So I can do some, I do a map of London and just focus on, every place that I've run in London. And I get these really nice kind of heat maps of, of the places I run the most. And then I do kind of a, uh, when I started each run. And it's really interesting because I, when I ran my first marathon, I did a lot of my training in the evening so I can see all the, all the patterns in the evening. But then I decided, you know what, I probably should do this in the morning and have a bit more family time. And you can see when I shifted. So, so to me, the data is, it's quite fascinating from that perspective. Um, as far as how it's hurt my running career, um, I don't. I think it's actually probably enhanced me more than it more than it's hurt more than it's hurt me because I can look at the training plans my coach has given me and it'll help me analyze if I'm progressing toward that plan if I'm doing the runs the, the prescribed runs properly 
But sometimes I overanalyze it as well. Instead of just accepting that, you know, some days you have a bad run, maybe not focus on the data too much because uh, it's more about how does your body feel? And that's one thing that, you know, the data really can't measure. Yeah, I, I love that. And the the small multiples and be able to see things, uh, you know, on the map and off the map and, and, and adjust based on timing. It's very interesting. Eva, when it comes to being sporty, you do triathlons. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, I haven't really done any this year because I just couldn't find the time, but it's definitely my favorite sport to do. Oh, that's fantastic. And actually, uh, I was looking at your Strava data, and it does look like you were doing quite some distance in May and June of this year. So I was curious, you know, what was going on then? And then also, being a triathlete, what sport do you think benefits most from your love of data analysis and visualization? Yeah, so... I had two races this year and they were just cycling ones. Um, one was in July, well, early July and the other one in late July. And they were both long distance. So one being 112 miles, the other one 100 miles. Wow. And that is the reason why in May and June I was doing some, yeah, some heavy cycling training load. And especially in June, I took actually, um, I think I had about 10 days in Berlin and I cycled everywhere I could. And I think it actually doing the data visualization, but also the analysis around it really helps with cycling. That's the, 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 the sport of the three that's benefited the most because I'm just obsessed with the numbers. And I look at them and I see, oh, I've got so and so many more miles to go to hit the, I don't know, to get to 100 or to get to 200 for the week. And then I do whatever I can, even if it's just adding an extra mile on my way home from work just to get to the numbers. I think the gamification, especially on Strava, really helps where you get badges and these trophies and achievements for getting certain distances or <laughs> achieving, you know, like a queen of the mountain where you're the fastest up a certain segment. And um, I think similarly to what Andy said, I also have a lot of memories that are now etched in data um, where you don't just have pictures, but you actually have proof that you did it. And there was one in particular to just over, well, about two and a half years ago when I was in France training for a race. And I went by myself. I did a really big ride up Mont Ventoux, which features, well, frequently in the Tour de France. And it's just this fabled mountain for cyclists and going up there and, and then, you know, adding, well, another 70 or 80 miles afterwards. Um, that was quite the achievement and being able to show that to people visually as well, looking at the incline, looking at the kilometers and the amount of calories burned um, has always been really encouraging for me afterwards to continue training. Yeah, it's almost like it adds a, an additional layer of gratification, right? Because it's not only, you know, how do you feel after having accomplished that, but then being able to see the data. And I love this idea of, you know, you have goals and then see your progress against it and actually changes behaviors because of the data that you see. Definitely. And I think we, we typically, um, well, yeah, we look at the data before we do the stretches afterwards, right? It's the, the first thing is, what did I actually do, even though we've just done it? Continuing with this idea of data and especially, you know, data visualization, I'm interested in uh, learning more about how each of you got into this space. So let's shift back to Andy. For those who might not be familiar with you and your work, can you tell us about yourself? Uh, you know, specifically, how did you get started visualizing data? And I'm, I'm also hoping this will lead into how Makeover Monday began. Yeah, I, I think it will. The it's it's really funny. So I used to do a lot of data visualization when I was a project manager, just you know, doing Gantt charts and things like that because I always found it really interesting to see you know 
what's my burn down rate and uh, how much how much effort is left for each person and things like that. I didn't really know that I was doing data visualization. I was just kind of creating some charts that helped me more than anything else. As far as kind of my my love for data visualization or when I really got into it, uh, I was working at Coca-Cola and one of our directors, uh, we used to do everything in Excel. Uh, we had some pivot tables that were used for the annual planning process. And uh, the director of our group asked me to create a dashboard to help people track more easily than they were able to do in, um, in the spreadsheets they were using with the pivot tables. So uh, like any good data analyst, I turned to Google and searched for dashboard software, something like that. And Tableau was the first thing that came up. I kind of read the synopsis, you know, in the, in the ad or whatever it was that came up. And it sounded like something that I could try. And it had a 14-day free trial. So I downloaded it, uh, went through all the training videos and had the whole project done in 30 minutes. And I, I was kind of hooked on Tableau, the tool at that point. As far as data visualization, that kind of came afterwards. Because uh, when I look back at my first few dashboards, they're they're pretty terrible from a design perspective. But Personally, I was super excited that I was more productive. So I wanted to get better at, uh, at that visualization piece. And I started by reading Information Dashboard Design by Stephen Few. When I read that book, I was like, oh my God, where has this been my whole life? It could have really changed my career a lot earlier on. Uh, and and it, it's totally changed the way that I thought about visualizing data. I'm curious, when was this in time when you were starting to get into Tableau, you're reading few? This would have been 2007, late 2007. Well, I, it was early 2007 when I, when I first uh, did that first project and probably a few months after when I, when I started reading all I could about data visualization. And at the time, there really there wasn't that much available like there is now. I feel like people that are starting now have, have a huge opportunity to learn faster than you and I and Eva did when we got into this space. You know, so I read in his books really, really helped me. And that's when I decided to start blogging as well. You know, I, I wanted to kind of record what I was doing. I, I tell people this all the time, but I blog for selfish reasons. I blog so I remember how to do things and so that I'm building up my own portfolio. Um, so that's kind of how I got how I got started. Very interesting. Yeah, I really can relate to this idea of right of, of getting excited in this space and starting to realize uh, you know what works and what doesn't, but having there not be a ton of resources out there and sort of learning by trial and error. And then Few was one of the first books that I encountered as well. For me, it was Few's book, uh, Show Me the Numbers, that was sort of that aha moment of you know, hey, here's why some things work. Here's how we can design thoughtfully. Here's how we can focus mm -hmm. attention and. Such. I felt like it made me quite um, quite a snob pretty quickly as well, like a data oh, snob. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into feedback uh, in, <laughs> in a bit. Uh, Eva, tell us about your background. When when did you join the Makeover Monday mix? And, and we'll come back and talk to talk more about Makeover Monday uh, momentarily too. You know, how did the two of you meet? Uh, when did your love for data visualization start? Yeah, so I think my my interest in data visualization started earlier than I realized. I studied psychology, among other things, at university. And there was a lot of talk about visual perception and the Gestalt principles and all of that. And I found it really fascinating, but it didn't really hit me until later on. Um, my first job out of university was at Deloitte as a consultant in the IT area. And I started actually using Click at the time, well, ClickView call at the time. So... Um, I got into that a little bit, but then I changed jobs and moved to Australia. 
And there I worked at Commonwealth Bank and I was told, you know, can you evaluate some BI tools? And in the end, I only really had two options out of which Tableau was the only one I could really use. And I started using it and just playing around with data and going to local user groups and meeting some other people and getting into the community, which at the time was still quite small. So this was five years ago in 2013. Okay. And once I actually went to a local conference in Melbourne, I'm like, oh, oh this is what it's all about. And I went on training, I changed jobs, I became a consultant and a trainer, and I really loved teaching other people how to use the tool. And that's when I got to go to the Tableau Conference 2015 in Las Vegas, and that's where I met Andy and the rest of his colleagues. At the time, I already knew I wanted to move back to Germany, and it wasn't until 2016, mid-2016, that I actually did. And that's when I think I just had more to do with Andy because I was you know, visiting London every now and then for work. And at the end of that year, when Andy Cotgrave, who started with Andy turning to make of a Monday into an actual project rather than a hobby, Andy Cotgrave said, well, you know, he's not going to continue. And Andy asked me to join the project with him. So from 2017 onwards, that's when I joined Make of a Monday and I haven't looked back. Yeah. And actually, that's a perfect segue. Uh, let's talk about Makeover Monday, the project. Uh, can you tell us about what it is for those listening who might not be familiar? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So as far as the community project, it's, it's actually very similar to what I've been doing for a really long time. We find uh, a data visualization that we believe could be improved. Now, I, I say that I would say 95% of them are visualizations that we think uh, can be improved. Some of them are already good. And we just want to see people take it, uh, you know, what, what kind of different takes can people take on the data? So we post a visualization plus the data on data.world every week. Uh, all the links to everything are on our website. It's makeovermonday.co.uk. And there's there's three years worth of uh, visualizations and data sets for people to play with. So the idea, though, is, is people should critically evaluate that visualization. What works? What doesn't work? Uh, what, and and what, what do you plan to do differently? So I actually write all of that before I even start creating my own version of the visualization because I want to be able to evaluate it without being kind of biased by my own thoughts and by what I'm creating. I don't, I don't want what I'm creating to bleed into my critique of the other visualization. So I focus a lot on that part, and we encourage people that are also blogging about Makeover Monday to use that same format because we think that it really helps you think through the, the process of, of evaluation. And so, sorry, so that, that forethought, it's critiquing the one that you see first and foremost, or it's thinking about your design first and foremost? Uh, critiquing the one that we're reviewing first. Yes, the, the one that we're supposed to make over. I critique that first so that I'm not biased by what I create. Okay. I encourage people to do that as well, you know, but everybody kind of falls into their own, their own process and, and their own rhythm for the project. So we, pu we publish that date on Sunday, even though it's called Makeover Monday, because some people can only do it on Sundays. Uh, their companies don't really provide time, sadly, for them to learn. And uh, they don't see Makeover Monday as a learning opportunity, although people are really developing their data visualization skills every single week. So most people, you know, do the visualizations either Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. And then typically on Wednesdays, Eve and I run a webinar we call Makeover Monday Viz Review, and people can submit their work for us to give them feedback on. So similar to what we do for the original visualization, we'll go through that same process with people's work that they want us to review. So we'll talk about what we like, what we don't like, what could they do differently, those sorts of things. And we encourage people then, or we, we actually expect people 
to iterate on uh, the feedback. It doesn't mean they have to agree with all of our feedback. That's fine. It's just our opinion. It's our initial, uh, it's our initial take on what they created. But if we're going to spend the time, you know, spend our own time reviewing this work for people, I think they owe it to the other people in the community to iterate on their work because if they don't, then that means that's time that we didn't get to somebody else. Cause like this, we recorded earlier today and I think there were 43 visualizations that, that people wanted their, their work reviewed. Oh wow! So if, so if there's five that don't, we never get to the ball. Sure. So if there's five that don't iterate, well, that's five we didn't get to that might've iterated. So that, that part gets a bit frustrating, but uh, you know, that's, I guess that's part of it. And then, Every, every Friday or Saturday, uh, we write a recap blog post with two lessons. One is around design and one is around analysis. So as an example, this past week, I take the odd number of weeks. Eva takes the even number of weeks. For this past week, I wrote about uh, kind of sense checking your numbers. So how can you have, uh, let's say, 150% of the population as males? Like, it just doesn't make sense, right? Or how can you have 1.8 billion teenagers in the United States? You know, things like that are just like, you know, you really need to think, you know, don't just throw something on the screen. Um, And then, you know, I'll write something about design, like, you know, uh, it might be about colors or context or, you know, different things like that. And then we also include our favorites from the week. So what are the visualizations that we like the best? And we actually turn each of those, uh, those, favorites, you know, the favorites from each week into a gallery. So there's now a gallery on the Makeover Monday website that has, I think it's got about 350 visualizations just from this year. And I think that's a really powerful tool for people to look at and say, you know what, this data set, it only might only have five rows, but look at these 50 different visualizations people created from this data set. Um, I think that's a really interesting thing that, that we didn't really expect out of the project. Yeah, and the, the the visual exploration that you can then do with something like that. Yeah, I find galleries to be fantastic for sources of inspiration uh, mm-hmm. when someone's feeling stuck. Uh, back on the webinar and the viz reviews, uh, is there any what are, what are the common points of feedback that you find yourselves giving? So I'd say there's a lot about simplification. So if we see lots and lots of colors being used without a clear reason for them, we suggest to tone down the colors, maybe go monochromatic and have one additional color for highlighting. So simplification, I would say, is one of the biggest suggestions we always make. And then it's around the sense checking and um, small things around formatting, like are the axes scaled the same way when when they should be? And mm-hmm. are things, you know, are the units, are things clearly labeled? Um, is the title making sense? Quite often, we know what people mean, but they don't really say that. And we try to provide the perspective of someone who doesn't know anything about the data set or the topic and who looks at this for the first time. So we try to really give them the, the layperson's perspective of how their business is perceived and to, to show them what's the impression that someone who's yeah just isn't familiar with it would, would have. And, um, yeah, I would say colors is a big one. Also, sometimes overcomplicating things by tackling the entire data set at once. Uh, We suggest to people, you can pick a subset of the data. You don't have to address every single column and every single row. You can pick one part of it and just focus your story on that because it's better to have a strong story around a small part of the data than having a weak or confusing story about everything. I'd say that's probably the typical feedback we give. And what I've learned personally, and I hope that Andy agrees, is 
we've learned so much about giving feedback. And that's why we started Visreview in the first place, because before that, all our feedback was through tweets on Twitter. And that is really not ideal. Um, at the beginning, we were limited to 140 characters. Now it's 280. But still giving feedback can be so it can be such a delicate process, especially when you see a visualization of someone who's just starting out and there are so many things you could talk about, but you don't want to give them the the impression that they've done everything wrong. So by us being able to talk it through, show them something on the screen, point to different areas of their this, we can be much more diplomatic and much more constructive in our feedback. And also we can go through so many more in a short amount of time. It's also an opt-in process. So people submit their work for review. So it's not like we're just you know grabbing somebody's visualization off of Twitter and, and ripping it apart or something like that. It's people genuinely asking for the feedback. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love this idea, right? Giving feedback is a very delicate thing. And yeah, having people opt in so that they've expressed that they want it. I, I want to come back to feedback because I know that's something that uh, you talk about quite a lot in the book as well. Um, but just sticking with the Makeover Monday project for a little bit further, who participates uh, in the weekly project? Oh, gosh, that is a heck of a question. We actually don't track it um, necessarily. I mean, what you know, kind of weird. people, right? What kind of roles? Yeah. What, what? So I think the best idea is what we get from our webinars, because we actually see the job titles that people have registered with. And there are Mostly it is at the analyst level, business analysts, data analysts, some data scientists, but then also some people at managerial level. Um, I would imagine they don't participate as often. Um, we definitely see that people who have, you know, who are consultants or analysts in an organization, they're the bulk of our participants. Mm -hmm. And also people who are active in the community. So they might not actually have a day job where they have to use Tableau or another data visualization tool on a daily basis, but they're just really interested and it's it's kind of their hobby. Maybe they're really into sports and lo looking at sports data. So they use Makeover Monday as a way to upskill themselves, but it doesn't really have anything to do with their job. And I think as far as, you know, we try to make it as, as tool agnostic as possible. I mean, we're just providing data sets. So people can use any tool they want. Uh, we see quite a few from R, we see uh, quite a few from Excel, Google Data Studio, the bulker, the bulker in Tableau, uh, I think that's partly because that's where a lot of the data visualization community is around. Um, you know, when I look at the, the stuff people submit to you calling in your monthly challenges, it looks like most of them are probably Tableau. I think it's just the nature of, of that community, though. You know, it's, it's on Twitter. The people are genuinely really excited about data visualization, and, and they're really kind of looking for excuses, and, and we're helping fill that gap. Yeah, and I love that. And it's interesting because I, I've always thought of Makeover Monday as a Tableau thing, but know that you invite people to use other tools. So it's great to hear that people are using other tools. And I've I've been surprised actually by how many of the participants in the Storytelling with Data Challenge use Tableau. But I think to your point, it's that that community is active in Twitter and in the sort of spaces because when what I see in a business setting is more diverse in terms of the tools yeah. that people are using. Yeah. How how are you finding that people are benefiting from participating in Makeover Monday? And are, are there learnings from this that we can generalize to those listening who may not be inclined to participate the, that they could still put into practice? I think the biggest thing is people are people are building a really impressive portfolio of work. 
one of the analogies I like to use is if, you know, let's say you and Randy were redesigning your house or you were, you were fitting your new house out. Um, you probably didn't bother asking where the person went to school. You wanted to know, you know, you wanted to look at some of the, some of the work they'd done before some of the other house models they've done or whatever it may be. It's that same thing. We're, we're finding more and more that what's important for people looking to be a data analyst or get in data visualization. It's more about what you've done, not where you've went to school or even where you've worked before. So we're giving people a really good opportunity to build up that portfolio, almost like a, you know, you're a graphic designer. You're going to bring your, you know, your, your big carrying case of things you've designed before. We're finding more and more that that's what's happening with people finding jobs through their portfolio that they build through Makeover Monday. I think we've got 40-some people now that have, they're at least the ones that have told us that they've gotten a new job primarily because of their Tableau Public profile. Wow. And a lot of that's Makeover Monday. So you know, there might be an interview and somebody wants to say, well, you know, show me some of the stuff you worked and they bring that or that you've created and they bring up their Makeover Monday profile and they've got 50, 60, 70 visualizations on there. And the people are like, you know, we don't even need to do this interview anymore. You know, so that's been a really satisfying outcome of it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it, it's such a great space for people to be able to practice in a low risk environment and hone their skills over time. What would you say, and I'm curious for this from each of you, what, what's the most important lesson that you'd say you've learned through Makeover Monday? Oh, I think for me, the value I add is not the visualization I build. The value I add is if I can give guidance and feedback to people and help them find you know, resources, find, basically find their own feet, find their strengths, and also their voice. So I see myself as, yes, I always participate because that's part of the rules that Andy has made when I joined Makeover Monday. <laughs> but Really, it's about providing the, the resources, doing the feedback webinars, finding other ways of giving people assistance and help so they can grow their skills. And I see myself as that connector. So if someone is looking for someone else with certain skills or is looking for a job, I try to connect people with other people. And I think what I love most about the Makeup Monday community is that it's a community that keeps growing and that keeps evolving and that we can really bring people together. And we see that when we have live events, like we did at the Tableau conference in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago, where really there's 700 people in a room and they're just there because they want to do this together. And um, seeing people meet in real life after knowing each other only on Twitter, that's where I think, you know, I've helped make a difference. So that's, that's the biggest contribution for me personally. I might, I'm going to answer your question a different way as far as, you know, um, maybe skills development for me personally. So you just talked a bit about the community, but uh, for me personally, I, I think one of the things I've really learned is that simplicity is very, very difficult. Your book really helped me a lot, uh, learn a lot about that, Cole. Um, you know, and, it, and it's something that we preach on those, on those uh, Viz Review webinars is it's very, very difficult to make something that's simple. It's really easy to make something complicated. So I'm learning a ton about simplifying my visualizations, making the message that I want more clear or clearer and making sure that I'm, I'm using the minimal number of things I can do to still pass the insights along to the reader. And reader is a great sort of lead into uh, the next thing I think we should dive into, which is when did you realize that you wanted to turn this project into a book? Well, I can let Eva take this because it, it was her idea. Huh? <laughs> I, so I've wanted to write a book for a very long time. And I thought, 
well, what am I supposed to write about? Who wants to read what I write? Um, and at some point, I started talking to Andy Cotgrave, one of the authors of the Big Book of Dashboards, and I, sh I talked to him about it. And he also had at some point thought about a Make of a Monday book. And so he introduced us to the publishers at Wiley, and we spoke to them, and we spoke a little bit about the project and what we do there. And then they asked us for a book proposal. So we put something together about a year ago and submitted that. And they were really excited to have it. So um, a few months later, we did a lot of writing. And then the book came about. And it came out in early October. And it's just been a real blast and really exciting to finally actually have a book to hold in our hands. So Eva, you're making this process sound really easy. And having written a book, I know it's not an easy process. So, And I can't even imagine uh, or sort of wrap my head around how it would be navigating the process of writing a book with someone else and the complications that that bring in. But how, how did you make it happen? You both have day jobs as well. What sort of habits and rituals did you rely on to, to get there? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I actually didn't find it very difficult. Um, we had already written a lot of the content. So it was a matter of reshaping it. And, and I love writing. So, you know, maybe that's why I didn't really, it didn't feel like a lot of work to me because I really enjoyed the process. You know, I, I remember when we, when we had uh, lunch or dinner with you, when you were here in London, you know, you, you gave us that fair warning of, you know, be ready. It takes a lot more time. And, and it did. Uh, the, the hardest part for me was the review process, actually. Um, but as far as, you know, kind of our, our working rhythm, we, we started in the middle of January, and it took us 122, 22 days to write the book, which um, feels like it was really fast. I don't know if I don't know how that compares to other people, but, you know. I think that, um, yeah, that's amazingly fast. Okay, okay. We, we have well, no, it's, no it's context <laughs> for it, so yeah. So, but what we did was we're both very good planners. And we started by creating the table of contents or, uh, and deciding, okay, What's the structure of the chapter is going to be? And most of them are relatively similar. And then what content are we going to write about? And who's going to write about what? And we just kind of split the work 50-50. And then we, the first weekend we started writing on it, I went to Nuremberg and we spent the whole weekend writing. I think I got three chapters written, even got two or three done. And then she came to London and then I went to Nuremberg. Take me through, Andy, what did these sessions look like when you and Eva are in the same location? Are you both, you're just physically in the same space, but each writing your own stuff or? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was in one room. She was in the other room. I had my headphones on and I told her not to bother me. Exactly. <laughs> A writing retreat. Huh? Yes. Yeah, so basically. It, yeah. I think the only reason why I didn't get as much done is because I had to make sandwiches in between or <laughs> provide snacks. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, I, I, I just needed that. I needed that focused time. And it's very difficult to get that, you know, when you have four kids and you're running around on the weekends. So, you know, my, my, my wife was very supportive of doing these little, you know, weekend things where uh, either I went to Nuremberg or, or um, Eva came to London and we just did nothing but write. That was the only way we were going to get it done on time because we, we knew we wanted it released before the Tableau conference. So we had to back into the dates. So that's what, I mean, we were forced into getting it done in 122 days. Oh, wow. 
and the when we think of the actual book, so there's a, a ton of great content. Uh, one topic that I've long been interested in um, is the process of iterating when it comes to being successful in the space. And chapter eight in your book focuses on examples of effective iteration. Um, you know, part of it you compare a traditional waterfall approach to dashboard design projects to an agile approach. You also talk about the importance of feedback, and I know Eva, this came up when we were talking earlier as well. But I'm curious, what tips can you share? for giving effective feedback? The way I typically approach it, and most people are probably familiar with that sandwich approach, is I try and focus on the positives first. There's something good in every visualization someone builds. And even if it's just something like a label, a color legend, or or the title. And I I pick those out and, and focus on those to set the scene. And then I move over to, okay, what if we did this? What if we did that? And I try and pose my feedback as questions. So have you thought about doing X, Y, and Z? Have you thought of using different colors? Or have you thought of running this to a, through a colorblind checker, etc.? cetera? Um, because then it doesn't say, it's not about, oh, you did this wrong, but maybe you just hadn't thought about it. So it's, it's not as, I think it's not as confronting. Well, and it invites discussion, right? Because the answer could also be, oh, I did think about that. And here's why I chose to do it differently. So it starts a conversation as opposed to, like you said, the, the right or wrong pieces. Exactly. And, um, and I think we always try to be very specific. And that's why doing the webinar is so useful, because rather than writing a tweet and trying to describe which part of the viz we're referring to, we can actually point at it with the mouse yeah. um, and, you know, really get into the detail, hover over a point and say, hey, what if you change this around? And sometimes, depending on how much time we have, we actually download someone's visualization, open it up in Tableau, and edit it on the spot and say, hey, what if you tweak this? And just to show the impact, the difference, um, especially because sometimes, as Andy mentioned, some people don't get to, you know, making the changes for whatever reason. So this way we can show everyone else who's listening, this is what we're trying to do. And let's say someone has a really, really intense background color. If we just strip that out, how will the visualization look? So <clears throat> showing people that doing these iterations and incorporating feedback doesn't have to be a two-hour process, but can be a couple of formatting changes to make a really big difference. Yeah, and actually, that's one of the things that I love in that section of the book is the before and afters, right? And the illustration of how sometimes these really minor changes, like you flip a bar chart on its side or you shade in the area between two lines, can have huge impact on the overall design of the visual. Yeah, I think one of the really other really important points, Cole, is that we we try to make sure that people don't take the feedback personally. We're not attacking them as a person. We're reviewing their work, right? It's about the visualization. It's not about them. We Sometimes we see on Twitter where the feedback does get too personal. And it's like, you know what? This person's asking for help. Don't attack them. Um, just give them feedback on their work. You know, be honest about it. Uh, be timely. Make sure it's very specific so they can act upon that feedback. Yeah, I mean, these are great tips, right? So uh, start with a positive, pose feedback as questions, focus on the work, not the person. Have you had any examples where you've tried to give feedback and it's failed? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yes. I mean, how does it go wrong, right? And what can we learn from that? I'd say that sometimes, you know, we give people feedback. In the webinar, they don't really have the opportunity to kind of fight back or defend themselves as such but on twitter some people will say oh but i did it because of this and this and i sometimes i don't even understand their reasoning or the explanation they give and then 
I kind of, you know, I pull back and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll let them run with it. So yes, there's, uh, there's definitely times when people don't really take it on board. And, but then we typically don't see them asking for feedback again, because maybe, maybe they didn't really want feedback in the first place, but they thought they wanted it. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and also, I guess, um, you know, when, if, if somebody's not receptive to the feedback, you know, we'll, we'll kind of back off and, you know, for example, if they don't iterate on the feedback, then we'll probably skip them the next time they ask for feedback. Yeah. Uh, but we also don't want them to think that, you know, our, our feedback is gospel, right? It's our opinion. Um, you know, there, there's no such thing as a perfect data visualization. We're just trying to give them steps to improve it. We're not trying to give them steps to make it perfect because there's no such thing as perfect. That makes sense. So you've both, you've both talked about simplicity uh, at, at different points during our conversation. And in the book, you highlight the importance of simplicity, communicating clearly, designing for your audience. But I also noticed uh, in looking through it, quite a lot of examples of, let me say, not super common graphs. Uh, I guess at least when we think about how we commonly graph data in a business setting, right? Circular histograms, uh, hex maps. I think I even saw an example of a tile map waffle chart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you, you have an entire chapter that's devoted to trying new things. So I'm curious what sort of things should people be thinking about when choosing how we show our data? And when does it make sense to use a less common visual? Yeah, this was a, this was a chapter that I wrote. So maybe I should, I should speak to it. Well, first off, I, I intentionally included charts in here that I typically don't see in other books because those have been reviewed, you know, and, and feedback given and opinions given on those for, for ages. So I wanted to focus on some things that we saw people create that we thought were interesting or, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, why did they use that particular chart type? And, and what is that chart type even? Somebody might see something like, oh, that's interesting. I, I wouldn't even know what to call that. And I, I try to go through examples in for each of those chart types on when to use it and when not to use it. So I'll go through the purpose of the visualization, a description on, um, you know, when it should be used and kind of the idea and the purpose behind those, those charts. And then I give several examples on, uh, on, on when they're done well. So I, I tried to be very, especially that chapter, every section or every chart of that chapter is laid out exactly the same way, as in, you know, it starts with a purpose, then a description, and then examples. And I wanted to give people just lots of ideas about and, and inspiration for, for other things, because we love it when people use Makeover Monday as a way to practice a new chart type. You know, it, it doesn't have to necessarily communicate the data great. We're, we're just happy people are learning through this project. And if they, you know, and, and if they learn a new technique, it's probably going to help them with something else in the future. And a lot of them say, you know what, I know this isn't, I know this isn't perfect, but I enjoyed creating it. And that's perfectly fine. And I think a lot of people typically get a good balance of creating a genuine makeover, an improvement on the original chart. And then every now and then they sprinkle in a little bit of experimentation because before this project, I didn't have... And an easy place to find fresh data sets that are easy to use because they're, you know, they're clean and they're ready to go. So what we have is this collection of data sets for people to practice with. And some data sets lend themselves very well to certain charts. So if people just want to experiment, and especially if they then say, hey, I just wanted to try out this chart, I learned something, um, that's also a great outcome of Makeover Monday. Like Andy said, it might not be the best way to communicate their insights, but it also adds to their portfolio. And over time, they can show 
that yes, partly they do they work on really effective data visualizations, but they also stretch their design muscles or flex their design muscles and improve their skills and techniques, and that will all be visible in their portfolio. And, and with some of those charts uh, in that chapter, Cole, the, the ones that are the more controversial ones, like you know uh, certain types of maps or pie charts and donut charts, I also provide alternative visualizations so that people can see the differences between you know when uh, one chart that works well, because I wanted I want them to become educated about these chart types, but I also want them to see alternative ways to display it more effectively. Yeah, that makes sense. It, and I love this idea of, you know, pushing to try something new and especially when it's in a safe space, right? Even you talk about there's all there's all this data that we provide out there that you can use to, you know, create something crazy and think about what can you learn from that where then you can then take aspects of that and figure out whether and how to roll those into, you know, how we visualize data when the stakes are higher, right? If it's in a business setting or we're trying to get somebody to understand something better or drive change. I think that's something that uh, everyone can can consider and, and learn from. And we've talked about you know different examples that you have in the book. There are a ton of different examples. How many visuals are there overall in the book? Well, it's going to sound like a lie, but there are exactly three hundred. I don't know how it worked out that <laughs> way. So we have to tell people it's like three hundred and two because three hundred sounds like a made up number, like you're just rounding. Um, but it's it's exactly three hundred. So let's go with three hundred and two. All right, three hundred two, um, which is uh, what yeah, accurate but not precise, or the other way around. And then, so of those three hundred ish, let's say, uh, how many how many different people contributed to making those? Uh, I don't know. I think I think it's about a hundred and no, it's not that many. It's about seventy five, I think, fifty to seventy five people, because we use the same. Sometimes we use the same chart multiple times, yep. and then sometimes we use the same people multiple times. So a lot of them are from Eva and I as well. So I, I want to say it's like between fifty and seventy five. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but there's a, a pretty significant number of contributors. Yeah, which is fantastic. And that's one of the, I think, great uses of the book is just to be able to flip through and see how different people have visualized different sorts of data and learn from each, right? What do you like? What might you have done differently? Uh, it's a great source of inspiration. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how would you advise that people use the book? Is it something they should sit down and read from start to finish? Should they flip to specific sections? Um, how would you recommend interacting with the book? I'd say it really depends what, what level they're at and what they want to get out of it. I think if someone is learning about data visualization, by all means, really go through it kind of page for page or chapter by chapter and read, read the text, look at the images and let that sink in and then maybe participate and then tackle the next chapter and absorb it that way. Um, if someone isn't quite ready to read all the text and absorb all the technical but just wants to have a look through, like my dad, for example, he said, oh, great, there's lots of pictures in there. So maybe start with the pictures and then let that take you down some routes where you say, oh, I'm going to try and actually build a chart like this. Or I really like the way this person has used colors or, you know, the text formatting is really spot on. And then also, of course, as a reference. So as people do their work, maybe, maybe they find, um, well, either they get some feedback from other people or, you know, review things internally or maybe just through their own reflection to see, maybe this is not really communicating my point that well. Maybe I need to look at colors, or maybe I need to look at making things more simple. And then going back to the book and the chapters to see, you know, what could they do differently? Yeah, and Cole, I, I think it's a very good companion to, to your book. So your book does such a great job of, of 
setting the fundamentals for people. And, you know, it, it's so good. It's so practical, I guess, is the way I, I like to describe it. We give it to lots of people that interview at the data school because we think it's a really fundamental book for getting people started on the right foot. And I see this as kind of um, a companion to your book. You know, you're setting the foundations for them and then we're helping them. Okay, you're now creating all these visualizations. How can you critique them and how can you improve them and what chart types should you use and how do you add context? All those sorts of things that uh, I think work well together. Uh, let's go back to Tableau for a minute. Uh, you've both mentioned the recent Tableau conference that happened in New Orleans. Uh, I think it had like 18,000 attendees. Um, what happened there that those of us who didn't attend need to know about? Well, uh, well from a Makeover Monday perspective, we the last three years now, we've hosted a Makeover Monday Live. And this year we had, I think, 720 people in, in, a, in one room together sitting around round tables. We encourage people to not sit with people they know and, you know, use it as a networking opportunity. And uh, in those sessions, we, we don't release the data until right as we're starting the, uh, the session and because we don't want people to cheat and do it ahead of time. And then we time box them to an hour. And we do that intentionally to, to ensure people do something simple and quick. And then we ask people to come up and present on stage. And most of the time, it's people that have never presented in stage before, and they're doing it in front of 700 people. So that's, it's really cool. As far as the, the conference, oh, and then we had our book signing app right immediately after that, which was, which was really overwhelming. I think we went straight for now. I think they said there were 300 people in line, which, which was, it was, it's kind of weird. Uh, I think it's kind of weird. Like, why would somebody want us to sign their book? But uh, and going back to uh, just going back real quickly, you talked about all the all the contributors to the book. One of the neat things that we heard people were doing was they were finding some of the people that created pictures in the book and hunting them down and having them sign their pictures in oh, the book. Very cool. It's almost like I a yearbook. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a really neat idea. That was that was that made me uh, made me smile. As far as the conference itself, it's it's crazy. Um, it's so busy, but it's like a family reunion. I tend to not go to very many sessions because I prefer the networking, and I usually have my own sessions. And I just want to meet people and talk to people, and that's what I get the most out of the conference. I've been to so many now that you know I know I can watch the sessions that are of interest to me later on, or I. The great thing about the conference is you can get out of it whatever you want. But for me, it's a, it's like a family reunion. Yeah, I actually attended, I think it was, might have been the very first Tableau conference. Um, it was in Seattle. It was tiny. Uh, Stephen Few and Gar Reynolds both presented. And that was when I was working at Google uh, and Tableau had just come out. And I was playing with it, though, honestly, haven't really touched it much since those early days. And I know it's changed a ton since then. Can you each talk to me a bit about your love for Tableau? Is it a tool that I need to learn? Is it a tool that others need to learn? So... I'd say for me, what I really liked is that I didn't have to write code to achieve something. You know, I can drag and drop. Um, it's not that I'm incapable of learning how to write code. It's just not my passion. And that's something I realized quite early on. It's not something that come, comes natural to me. It's not something I really want to spend a ton of time learning. I would prefer to do something visual and focus on, you know, the storytelling aspect, finding the insights, doing the analysis. And, and not having to code. So that's what I think made it really easy for me to get hooked on it. And I think in my first job where I used Tableau, the benefit was I was the only person in the team doing it. So I quickly became the go-to and I was the one who got to, you know, learn it and practice and then present it back to others 
So I think if you're that trailblazer, you get a lot of advantages of getting to go to a conference, getting to attend this event or that meetup. And that really brought me to the Tableau community, which is what makes Tableau so different from other tools. And that's also what, again, at the um, Tableau conference, you know, Andy said it's like a big family reunion. I mean, I got to meet so many people from our Maker Monday community for the first time in person. And you can just see once the penny drops and I realize who they are, because, you know, meeting someone who you know from Twitter is not straightforward. Um, we, we already, you know, we're smiling, we're hugging, and it's really good. So I think that community has really reinforced my appreciation for the software as, you know, as, as being software, but then also the people around it, the people who build it and the people who sell it and the people who make that community what it is. Yeah, the community aspect is really interesting and something that uh, is unique, uh, it seems, uh, to Tableau when you consider other tools uh, that people are using in the world of data visualization. But when it comes to the actual tool itself, Andy, curious, you've been using it for a long time. Why, why would someone choose Tableau over a different tool, for example? Well, there's, there's a couple of reasons for me. First off, it, it, it will, at least for me, it makes me significantly more productive. I can iterate really quickly, throw lots of ideas away, build lots of things until I find the insights I'm looking for. That's, to me, that's the power of Tableau. Yes, it can build dashboards. Yes, it can build nice charts. But for me, the power is that exploratory analysis and being able to just answer lots of hypotheses very, very quickly. So there, there's that aspect of it. But then there's also, you know, you can, it, it builds in lots of, there's lots of best practices pre-built into the product. So if you just start double clicking on things, you'll probably get something decent looking, uh, you know, and, and that that's a really interesting thing to me is how do they even think about that kind of stuff when they built the product? Those would be probably the, the two top reasons for me. It's, it's productivity and uh, best practices that are built into the tool. And if I can add to what Andy just said about the exploration and, you know, finding insights quickly. I actually, as part of my day job, get to do a lot of demos where I use Tableau. And I was recently, I had built something around um, medical prescriptions in the UK. And my dad is a doctor. So um, to explain to him a little bit more what I do in my job, I said, hey, here's a dashboard I built. And, you know, here's some stuff I looked at. And he said, well, what if we look at these and these medications? So he was interested in seeing how the prices compare for branded medication versus generica. And um, we sat down and we looked at it for 10 minutes and he just, he was so fascinated. And as someone who doesn't do anything with data visualization, for him to be hooked immediately and to see something visually where he can compare things easily, even though he doesn't know what buttons to click. So, you know, I, I do, I walk him through the analysis, but he can tell me what to do. And it felt like, well, this could equally be a customer I'm sitting down with and I'm looking at their data and I'm trying to help them get to the insights. So um, I think that's the beauty of it, that you can do that so quickly. It doesn't matter what dashboard comes out at the end. It's really about that process of, hey, let's try this out. If it doesn't lead us to anything, we'll try something else and we haven't wasted a lot of time. And, and that's such an important part of the exploratory analysis, irrespective of tool, right? Is how do you look at your data one way and look at it another way and learn different things from these different views of the data? Uh, so the two of you, I think, must be feeling like rock stars lately, right? So you have a book that just came out. It's got some awesome reviews so far. You had a packed session at the Tableau conference. What's next? 
Hmm. <laughs> I haven't been told yet. Yeah, it's a situation where I say, hey, Andy, I have an idea. And Andy, at first he rolls his eyes, but I think he's learned by now that my ideas aren't all that intimidating. Or, I mean, they might be time consuming, but they're typically worth it. So um, one thing that's coming up in the next few weeks and that we're excited about is that we're going to do a webinar series about statistics and data visualization with um, Anna Ford from the Tableau community. She is, you know, she's a teacher and she really knows her stuff when it comes to statistics. So we've invited her to do um, about five webinars with us and we're just about to schedule those. So um, they will be in December and in January for people to pick up something new. We haven't really talked much about statistics and having someone like Anna who can really talk to the numbers, talk to these techniques and share them with the community, I think will be some really nice lessons for everyone out there. Yeah, and then she has this really unique style. Because she is a teacher, she has to know how to explain statistics to kids. And she writes it from, you know, when I read the first blog post that she had written about, you know, explaining uh, trend lines, I think it was. And I was like, oh, I've never heard it explained that way. And, and it makes a lot more sense now. And, you know, I have a mathematics degree, and I never understood it the way that she explained it. So um, I, I, we're really excited about, about that series and, and helping the community maybe get a bit more um, advanced in their uh, understanding of statistics. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'll make sure that we link to this and, and the other resources that we've mentioned over the, um, over the course of the session in the show notes as well. Yeah, all of the webinars are, are on the uh, Makeover Monday website. There's a webinar. I think it's makeovermonday.co.uk slash webinars. And they're all on there as well as all the past recordings and, and everything's there for people. There's one other thing that we're going to start doing. And, um, you know, we're, we're just kind of in the process of starting to plan them is, is we want to start running some workshops around the book based on the content of the book. And also um, maybe provide services to companies that want us to just come in and, and give them uh you know, almost do like the, the viz review stuff that we do and have them, you know, we could just do dashboard reviews for them and, and things like that, or we can run full day workshops, but primarily centered around the content of the book. Yeah. And a way of uh, taking you know, what's become a really effective community project and, and bringing it in house so that uh, different organizations can benefit from it as well, which is awesome. That's right. Andy, Eva, this whole conversation has been really fun for me. I want to thank you very much for taking the time and I wish you both a ton of continued success. Before we close, where can people follow you? So on uh, on Twitter, they can follow me at VizWizBI and my blog is VizWiz.com. So those are probably the two best ways to uh, to find me. And for me, Twitter is TryMyData, T-R-I. MY data um, and my website is trymydata.com and people can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Um, I do appreciate a short note so that I know where the invite is coming from and that's the best ways to connect with me. Yeah. And of course, there's the Makeover Monday website as well. Yeah. Perfect. And then let's close with some tips for the listeners. So Andy, you mentioned you have four kids. When you think about kids learning data visualization at an early age, what advice would you give parents on when and how to introduce these concepts? I, you know, I honestly would leave it, a lot of that up to the kids. I might, for me, I show my kids occasionally the last what I'm working on, and um, I'll show them, you know, what I'm doing and what the data is about, and and then they have this kind of natural curiosity, and they start asking me questions and. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, okay, well, what is this, what is this chart saying back to you? I, I like to get feedback from my kids when I create something because 
you know, generally they have no idea what I'm talking about. So if they can understand it, then I probably did something okay. As far as, you know, what age to get people involved, I, I think it, you know, the answer is really, it depends. Uh, I would, I would wait until they show an interest in it for one. So my son, Oscar, when we first moved here, he would come into the data school and do projects with us when he had days off because he enjoyed it. So he's got a Tableau license on his computer. He doesn't use it that much anymore. He prefers to do coding and that that's great. But he, he learned a lot about data visualization, what, what charts to use and things like that. And one of the sessions was really funny. He, uh, he dialed in for the, the weekly presentations and he presented as well. And then he started critiquing the other people in the room. <laughs> he had given them the project and he had some very specific questions he gave them that he wanted answered. So, for example, I think that, yeah, the day was about um, uh, buses in London and he wanted to know for specific routes, when should he take the bus and when should he take some other form of transportation? And some of them didn't answer that question. And, uh, and he gave them an earful like any good stakeholder would. <laughs> I don't know where he could have learned that from. but And um, how old is Oscar? So he's 16 now. Yeah, he was, I think, 12 or 13 when, when he first came in. Um, and then, you know, we also have Joe Radburn is our youngest Makeover Monday participant. He started participating when he was eight years old. And he probably has maybe... I don't know, close to 150 to 100 visualizations on his Tableau public profile, and he's now 10 years old. That's fantastic. Um, but he loves doing it with his dad. That's something they would do together as an activity. It's just, it's just another hobby, really. If they show an interest in it, you know, um, encourage them. That's great. And Eva, what tip would you give someone just starting out who wants to improve the way they're communicating in their job or at university with data? So I would say one thing that's really important is to provide context and to set the scene. Because quite often as analysts, you know, we tend to be really deep in the detail. We, we spend quite a bit of time looking at this data, getting our heads around it. We can't start the conversation at that really detailed level. Uh, I prefer setting the scene, getting everyone on the same page to say, hey, this is what we're here to talk about. These are the topics. These were the questions. Let's look at what we found. And I typically structure my data visualizations that way. Let's start at a high level and go into the detail so that everyone can come on that journey with us. I'd say at university, there's plenty of opportunity to work with data, especially, you know, the more research people do when they do surveys, etc. So I'd say embracing whatever is on offer there, if, whether it's free software or access to additional training or maybe even courses on analytics and data visualization. I'd say that's really important. But then also a critical part of communicating is to listen and to truly understand what people are asking for and to maybe even feed that back and say, hey, you know, I understood this was your question. This is what you're asking me to do. Can you confirm that? So improving and just practicing those communication skills to really get into the detail of what the stakeholders want before starting the work, rather than being tempted to say, oh, I'm going to build this dashboard and it's going to look like this before we've even understood what the real question is. Yeah, that's a great tip. Andy and Eva, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, wish you both much continued success and want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me here today. And for those listening, encourage you to check out Makeover Monday, the book, which we'll uh, link to in show notes. Uh, as we've talked about, it's a fantastic collection of visualizations that will really help you tell your data stories. Thanks very much for tuning in today. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.